Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Way to Fatherhood podcast. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. I'm joined today uh, by Dr. Matthew Abraham, who's an acute care surgeon here in North Carolina and a good friend of mine. So, uh, Matthew, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, the, um, Matthew is, in addition to being a surgeon, more importantly, in his mind and all of ours, I would hope, is uh, the husband of one, Valerie, and father of three now. Uh, number three is on the way, right? Third boy. Due in two months. Yeah. Congratulations to you and Valerie. Um, I know it's a, a busy time for you guys, so thanks for taking time out to join me. Of course. Um, now, I, I wanted to have you on the show so we can talk about a, a topic that's near and dear to all of us, um, gallbladder surgery. <laughs> right? Is that, does that sound? Yeah. Um, just kidding, of course. Um, my attempt at a dad joke to start off the episode, but we're going to talk about something far bigger than that, uh, work and calling and our identity as Christian men in particular. And these, these are matters that... Um, Matthew and I have discussed a bit in, in the past, and I think it'll be helpful for all of the men listening. And so let's start with a little bit of background to introduce you to the audience in a way. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and about your journey to become a surgeon. So I'm an emergency and trauma surgeon and also a critical care physician. What that means is I work exclusively in the hospital um, taking care of patients in the ER and people already admitted to the hospital that have surgery problems that come up. So that means lots of gallbladders and appendixes, uh, various kinds of infection, bleeding problems, uh, colon cancer, things like that. I also take care of trauma patients from falls or other injuries, car accidents, assaults, gunshot wounds, anything that shows up as an emergency in the, in the hospital. Um, I'm also trained as a critical care physician, so I take care of patients in the ICU, um, mostly surgery ICU patients, but um, I've been taking care of everything um, across the spectrum there as well. With everything going on this year, I've also started doing some virtual ICU work as well, uh, taking care of the patients remotely from the comfort of my own house. So how, how does that work, virtual ICU care? There's, there's a video and audio set up in each of the ICU rooms, and when a new patient comes in or the nurses have a problem that arises with a patient who's already there, I virtually enter the room with the camera and talk to the patient and the nurses and look through what's going on and help make decisions and figure out where to go next. Okay. All right, so how did you – was there a certain point in your, in your training – where you you realized that this was the kind of care, the kind of surgery that you wanted to do? I realized pretty early on in medical school that I wanted to do some kind of surgery. Actually, ironically, primarily because of the hands-on 
direct nature of surgery. So it's a little funny that I'm now doing some of this remote virtual work. That's like I said, that's kind of just come up over the last few months as a side yeah. thing. But um, surgery always appealed to me as a way to directly fix a tangible problem um, using my hands and producing a, an obvious result fairly quickly. It's always been, I've always found that much more satisfying than managing chronic medical problems or, or trying to fix general health instead of just fixing a single obvious problem. Right. Right. And, and so your journey to becoming a surgeon, how, how many years did that take uh, to get to where you are now? And then what, what was that journey like? Starting all the way from the beginning. So yes, how old are you? I, I was born on a winter night. No, no. I, <laughs> Not <laughs> I started in kindergarten and worked my way through grade school in the usual 12 years. Okay. Okay. I went to so, uh, so for school. all of us then. Yeah. Yes. Well, <laughs> in less than 12, but okay. I, uh, I was homeschooled all the way through and in college, I went to Cedarville university in Ohio and got a, Bachelor of Arts in Chemistry, and then I went to Wright State University in Ohio for medical school, so that's another four years, and then five years of general surgery residency in Knoxville, Tennessee, at the University of Tennessee, and then I did an additional year for critical care training and uh, trauma at the University of Tennessee as well. So all told, that's uh, 20 six years of education and training from school, grade school on. And I graduated and got my first real job when I was 31 years old. And that's actually a little bit early for a lot of, uh, at least a lot of surgeons. Most doctors are that or a little bit older by the time they finish all of their training. Yeah. So uh, now this is all relating now to this discussion about calling and vocation and um, the place of our work, but um, obviously doctors are are held in very high esteem in our society, rightly so. If, if for nothing else, even though it, it it is more than this, but given the amount of study and the years of study and work and residency that you have to do to reach that position, but um, in some of the conversations that you and I have had, you've mentioned that that title of doctor can cause. Uh, a bit of a, an identity crisis. In other words, um, from from what you've seen so far, there are a lot of doctors who seem to identify themselves with with that title, right? It becomes their identity. I am a surgeon or I am a doctor, a physician of some kind. So um, can you elaborate a little bit on, on that and that conversation? Yeah, it's certainly a problem for physicians. And I, I think for a lot of others in society today, but specifically with doctors, um, a lot of doctors get to the point where their entire identity is swallowed up at work. They have little or no social interactions or uh, identity outside of their work as a physician. Many doctors end up working long past normal retirement ages into their mid or late 70s, which is a whole other question whether (laughs) <laughs> whether our understanding of retirement and yeah. uh, work is is healthy to begin with, but but many doctors work long past the time when most other people start to work less. Um, and then the flip side to that is a lot of doctors, when they retire, 
develop dementia and die fairly quickly because they have no other interests or hobbies outside of retirement or outside of work. And so when they retire, they have nothing else to do. Um, the other extreme is a lot of doctors become so obsessed with early retirement and getting out quickly that they only see medicine as a way to get wealth quickly and then get done with it. So both, both extremes have a problematic relationship with their, with their identity as a physician. I think more broadly or more philosophically, um, doctors and society as a whole have an unhealthy relationship with medicine and with science. We've put science on this pedestal where we see science as holding all the answers to our questions and also see scientific answers and values or health as the highest possible goods or the highest or most important value that we can pursue as a society. Um, I think whether, whether we've bought into that consciously as a lot of society has, or whether we're subconsciously influenced by it, doctors and the rest of society place far too much value and importance on medicine, health, and science in general. Yeah. And, and this, as you said, it seems like a, it's a serious problem, obviously for doctors and for physicians and, and it is tied up in that elevation of science and medicine and the idea of health as being our highest aim. Right. Um, but this, this problem of, um, of identifying ourselves with our work and, and our work becoming our identity, uh, could be a serious problem, not just for doctors, but for men and general. And, um, and I say men in general, because this is a podcast directed towards, towards fathers. Right. Um, but obviously it could go beyond that. Right. Um, so if, if we're not careful, we can really identify ourselves with our, with our position, with our job. Definitely. I think medicine is a helpful uh, example to look at this because it does seem to take this to more of an extreme than other mm-hmm. professions. But I think what we're talking about is certainly true for almost any other profession. You know, one of the one of the problems or one of the reasons that medicine seems to tend this way is because the training involved is pretty arduous and like we already talked about, time consuming. And so by the time that physicians have invested that much time and effort in reaching the end of their training, it's hard to rationalize cutting back. Plus they've also developed lots of habits of working long hours and making other sacrifices in order to accomplish their training. And while other professions don't have that rigorous of training or may not require that type of habits or work ethic, um, I think in general, our society has tended towards requiring longer and longer training periods and more and more education to reach a final profession. And as a result, people end up feeling like they have to invest more in that profession or work identity to justify the effort that they've put into reaching that point. Right. If you, in order to get through the training, if you have to learn to sacrifice family, social life, healthy rest and exercise habits and all of that, then, then that becomes your pattern for life. Right. Uh, and so, um, it's hard to, it's hard to break out of that because you're made to feel like that's what you have to do to be that person, that, that title, that, um, that role, whether it's a doctor or a nurse or lawyer or even an electrician or a teacher or whatever. Um, yeah. So 
that that certainly that certainly makes sense. It's creating habits, but um, do you think it's more than just the the habits or training? I mean, because um, you know, what do you think is at the root of that problem? I think it's a combination of the habits that are necessary just to complete the training and uh, also the social expectations that go into that profession. I mean, some degree of hard work and dedication to any field of study is necessary. And looking at medicine specifically again, I mean, there's there are a lot of medical problems that show up in the middle of the night and training will always require to some degree long hours and uh, focus on training to the exclusion of other activities. But I think we can push that too far and we can make that style of work the identity instead of focusing on a, a larger sense of identity. Yeah. It's and interesting I, that a lot of other countries have actually come up with different ways of training for medicine, which are not necessarily better, but it certainly shows that it's possible to do training in a less work-intensive way. Um, European countries and uh, the British colonies have much more drawn-out education process for doctors, which can last easily twice as long, but uh, often has much lower work hour requirements and uh, arguably supports a better uh, personal life. That's, uh, that's interesting. This is, um, this does seem to be a bit of an American kind of problem, doesn't it? I, I know that, uh, there are other countries and other cultures that are, um, other societies that, that still struggle with anxiety and being a workaholic and so on. But, um, but Americans, as far as the number of hours we work, um, the sleep problems that we have, um, the the habits of busyness just all the time it seems to be particularly uh, significant in in our own country um now this isn't this isn't just a work issue though right um this it goes beyond our our jobs and careers um i like to think of uh, these kinds of issues as um having tentacles so to speak, um, you know, it, it branches out and reaches out. Um, it, it would seem like um, this is related to that problem of being a workaholic, of neglecting marriage and family relationships, which we do see as a big problem in our society, um, even financial issues, overall health issues, and so on. So um, given, given the, the depth of this problem of identifying ourselves with our job, um, identifying ourselves with our work. What did, do you have any advice that you would offer to those who maybe are struggling with this and, you know, how can we do a better job of not, not letting our jobs de define our identity or become our identity? Well, I think if we're going to push back against this, we have to start by understanding how we got to where we are now, where jobs have become so much our identity or where we have such a problem with, needing to be busy and find our identity in those things. I think one of the, the driving issues that's resulted in, at least in the American understanding of jobs and possibly more of a global issue as well, is our post-industrial society and how that's changed how work is done. It's as a result of 
of being in a post-industrial environment, we are living in a much more fragmented society. We're no longer dependent on the local community and the people around us for relationships, services, goods. We don't have a, a butcher down the street who we go to for our food. We don't, we don't know the people that live around us nearly as much as people in the past did. And because of that loss of local community and rootedness, we're left with basically our jobs or for believers, jobs and church as our only sources of identity. So right. that loss of a greater sense of society and connectedness is, I think, pushing us towards other sources of identity. I think another issue, um, Joseph Pieper talks about our loss of ability to have true leisure. And I think that's part of what causes us to lose our greater sense of identity as well. When we are not able to think about our humanity, the meaning of life, think about greater issues, we're driven into increasingly more narrow and uh, more narrow identities of ourselves and jobs are one aspect of that. I think our society would love it if as guys, we only found meaning or interest in things like sports, beer and movies and making money and nothing greater than that, because that's the easiest way to control or, or profit from, from us. Sure. Yeah. And consciously pushing back against that is probably one of the biggest things that we need to focus on. We need to be training our children and our, especially our young men in the liberal arts thinking about bigger things than just cash flow, making ends meet and interviewing well for your next job. We need to teach them to recapture the idea of a vocation as a, a larger sense of purpose and meaning than just getting through the, the 40 hour work week and submitting your time card on time. Yeah. I, I, I think that uh, that's an interesting way to put it, that there's a big difference in our vocation or calling and our job right um and and that's that's seems to be a common confusion right um your your vocation is not your job your vocation is your calling as as a man as a as a human being made in the image of god right and created to glorify god um and so that is something that we really need to push back. And um, in fact, one of the things that I've liked to talk about as I have taught over the years, the, uh, the epics of Homer is that, you know, in the Iliad, you have um, Achilles who is searching for glory and he knows that he'll, he can only find eternal glory in by dying in battle, right? by dying in war. But then you have Odysseus, the, you know, the hero of the Odyssey, for and it's really just a story about a guy trying to get home, right? And yet, for Odysseus, I, I feel like there's a stronger sense of understanding what glory is in Odysseus than there was in Achilles, right? Achilles, yes, he earned eternal glory. He earned a a name for himself, so to speak. But Odysseus um, was already being remembered. Right. Even before he got home, there were songs about him, you know, in fact, it caused him to weep hearing the songs that were being sung about him and about his his very clever plot of the wooden horse that would lead to the destruction of Troy and his wisdom and craftiness and all this. But so he was already well known. 
but he understood that home was his glory, right? Uh, his, his place was in Ithaca. It was with Penelope and with Telemachus. And I, I think that that's something as, as men that we have to understand is that when it comes to defining ourselves and our place and our, our purpose and our, our glory, if you will, it's, it's not defined by just our job. Right? It's defined by being who God has created us to be and having our priorities in line with that. And that, um, that having that sense of place that we don't find our meaning and our, our glory and our purpose at the office or at work. Um, you know, we, yes, we're responsible to work and to, to, to work well and to work wisely, to work hard. Um, but our, our place of, of glory is, um, is how God defines it. Right. And I, and I think, um, sort of combining those two, um, you know, it really should, uh, put things into better perspective. And I think he, sadly, Odysseus, uh, seemed to get it more than a lot of us Christian men do now. Right. <laughs> well, I don't want to reignite the, uh, the old Greece versus Rome debate, but I think then he yeah. is even, What's yeah. that? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> no, I ahead. do. Okay. So I think the Aeneid is an even better illustration of that vision and sense of identity that we should be striving for as Christians. Because Aeneas was not only searching for home and trying to find a, a way to uh, to refound his family's home. Right. Um, everything about his his journey was motivated by honoring and prioritizing his family, loving and protecting his father and providing a future for his son. And that, that vision of a home centered uh, society is arguably what led to the might and power of the Roman Republic that became the Roman empire later on. Yeah. I've recently been reading CR Wiley on the, the loss of that vision of, of home as the central building block of our society. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be consciously trying to recapture that vision of home as as the fundamental building block. I think we're seeing more and more that our society, speaking particularly of American society, sees us as sees society as made up of a number of individuals, not family units or or married couples, and that emphasis on the individual means that more and more identity has to come from work and interests like sports and so on instead of our identity as married couples and parts of, of a church and and family units yeah and that the book you're talking about is um the household in the war for the cosmos is that correct yeah because i know people will be wondering about that, that um it's it's one of those i have and it's it's on my never-ending stack of things to read um so i'm glad that you mentioned that um, it sounds like, uh, sounds like it's right down the alley of what this podcast is about too. Um, so I, I would say that there, there are lots of things for us to think about and I want us to maybe put some, some hooks into this so that as, as we end this podcast, we can, um, we can all leave with sort of things to do. All right. So what, what's next? And I, I think, First of all, on kind of a practical note is um, maybe think about our, our language. I know this may seem like it's out of left field here, but 
Um, in our conversations, one of the things that has popped up in my mind is um, our tendency to to refer to ourselves by our job, right? I am a doctor. I am a teacher. I am this, and and I think uh, maybe changing our language on that. You know, when we ask kids, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" and we're expecting them to give a job title, right? We're expecting that, and and so we're training we're training children and training ourselves to kind of further that problem of defining by the job, right? Defining by what we do when we're at work. So it might seem like a small thing, but of course it's creating habits. And for generations we've been, we've been talking that way. Our children's highest ambitions, our son's highest ambition should be to be godly fathers, righteous citizens. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Any other practical advice that you have? Well, looking at the the medical model, um, some of the ways to push back against this that come to mind are to resist the pressure from society to become part of a larger and larger structure. Medicine is constantly shifting towards larger hospital systems and getting rid of the, the small individual jobs and businesses. And I think one way to push against that in medicine and then in broader society would be to encourage small businesses, encourage the the personal ownership and responsibility and the personal connection to those around you that that brings instead of accepting the security and uh, anonymity that belonging to a huge company or a a national organization provides. Yeah. And, and cultivate habits around the home too. Right. Um, I think doing some self-evaluation for all of us dads is very fitting um, even if we, even if we may not think we're guilty of this, of defining ourselves by our jobs, um, look at how we need to look at how our time is spent. Right. Um, and ask ourselves what, what really seems to be in the driver's seat of, you know, what are our priorities really? Because, um, so we can sort of deceive ourselves into thinking we're doing a good job. Uh, but when you actually sit down and look at, day in, day out, you know, what are our habits indicating? Christian education is, is one other key building block, both teaching our children how to think rightly about society and their role in society, and also taking a role in that education, making sure that we're involved as fathers so that they are seeing a vision of that for themselves in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time out on this rainy day here in our part of North Carolina to talk to me about these things. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Weight of Fatherhood podcast. I appreciate Dr. Matthew Abraham joining me for this episode. Um, And as we conclude, I just want to elaborate on on something. And, And as I always do at the conclusion of these episodes, leave us with something to consider. I'd like to encourage all of the fathers out there to really evaluate and how much are you defining yourself by your job, by your, by your work, by your position at, um, or, or title, maybe your job title or how much you make, right? Um, even though these things are important and, and there is a, a good and right side to this, we were created to work. We're created to, to put our hands to the plow, so to speak, and, and to diligently fulfill the, the tasks that God puts to our hands. But are we defining ourselves by those things? Um, 
if we were to really evaluate the time that we spend and where our mental energy is given, what would it reveal about what we truly value in this life? In Luke chapter one, when, um, when Zechariah is told that he and his wife are going to have a baby, he and Elizabeth are going to have a son, even though they're old and kind of past that <laughs> part of life, uh, that doesn't really seem to matter to God, right? Just ask Abraham and, and Sarah. Uh, but they're told that they're going to have a baby. It's going to be John the Baptist, of course, as we know. And Zechariah is told that John the Baptist would be born and that he will be, uh, that he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the Lord, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. It's interesting to me that when the angel of the Lord, or when the angel tells Zechariah what John the Baptist is going to do, he says he's going to prepare people to meet Christ, prepare the way for the Lord, right? And one of the ways that people are prepared for the Lord, or, or if you will, let me put it in these, broader evangelical terms, made right with the Lord, one of the things that happens to them is that the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children. And so is that true of us? Do our priorities in life, the things that we value in life, does that include our families? Does that include our, uh, the church, our relationship with God? Where are our priorities? Are we defining ourselves by our work? This is a big problem for a lot of men in our society. And I think it's something that we need to evaluate. Matthew mentioned in the interview, one particular book that maybe is a good starting point for that, uh, to get our minds in the right place by, by C.R. Wiley, uh, The Household and the Battle for the Cosmos, I believe is the name of that. So take a look at that and do some introspection. Ask the Lord to, to teach us through these thoughts and considerations. Thanks again for joining me. Until next time, I'm your host, Brian Phillips, signing off from the Weight of Fatherhood podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.